for hosting me this week. And the pastor and his family treated me just uh, super, super kindly and graciously. I'm super thankful for that. I've been thinking about your pastor all week. He's in Nebraska now. And how many of y'all think he needs a pair of cowboy boots? Don't y'all think so? And uh, I'm thinking of cowboy boots, cowboy hat, and maybe a pickup truck. Don't y'all think so? And uh, so y'all pray about that. I'm going to pray God will give him a pickup truck and cowboy boots. And uh, I'm telling you, he's in Nebraska now. It's time, isn't it? And I think they probably need a couple of dogs and three or four cats, don't you think? And <laughs> his wife does not agree with me all, so, so hold on to that idea. But I'm so happy to be here. What a joy to get to know y'all this week and to be a part of your church. I, uh, I bring you greetings from my best friend, my favorite person in all the world. And I'm certainly just super sorry that Bethley can be here. And thank you for understanding that. She's been on the road all year long and done a lot of conferences of her own for ladies and stuff around the country. And uh, just her being able to be home to be near her doctor this week has been a real help. And so thank you for understanding that. I'm grateful that uh, she could have this uh, week at home. And that's been a blessing to her. And uh, our loss here, though, I'm aware of that. So I'm really sorry about that. Uh, a couple of things. If you don't take anything else on the book table, if you were just going to get a couple of things, I, I highly recommend the family devotional. If you don't have a family devotional, it's always good to have one. This is one page for every day of the year. And just find today's date. And it's a pre-written devotional, easy to wait up. Just bring God's word into your family at a breakfast table or a supper table or before you go to bed at night. Uh, we've used this book and many others like it in our family. It's been a great help to our children. And then, of course, I'm a little partial to the book Home Improvement that was written by Dave Young and Harold Vaughn. And uh, so I highly recommend that. If you're just going to take one, the reason I'd recommend this, not so much because Harold and I wrote it, but because it does cover just about every angle of the Christian family. And uh, so it's an easy read. We worked very diligent to keep it simple and yet to be very strongly biblical. Every verse is based on some truth you'll find in the book of Ephesians. So take advantage, of, or every chapter rather, is based on some verse. So take advantage of that. And if I can be a blessing to you uh, in some regard there, uh, I'll be near the table after the service. Let me know and at least look those over. If you'd like to follow our ministry, uh, you can find me at evangelistdaveyoung.com and I have a place there to sign up for our newsletter. And I'd love for you to do that so you could kind of know about our ministry and our schedule as it's coming up and pray for us. And uh, y'all know that I need prayer, don't you? Uh, you've gotten to know me this week. Can y'all tell that? And uh, how many of y'all think my wife needs prayer? Don't you think so? And uh, so you ought to pray about that. Think just, just whatever, find something that will remind you to pray for us. Uh, you know, I, I have a golden retriever. So the next time you see a golden retriever, just think, you know, Brother Young has a golden retriever and pray for me. It's pretty simple, isn't it? I have a Dodge pickup truck. So the next time you see a Dodge pickup truck, just think, Brother Young has one of those and pray for me. You see a good looking guy walking down the street. Uh, <laughs> pray for somebody, all right? But uh, I'd certainly be grateful for that. Singing was good tonight. How many of y'all did that little stand-up thing? That little, how many of y'all did it? How many of y'all did not do it? So I'm not doing that. You got to pay me to do that. Anybody here like that? I heard a comedian years ago talking about love lifted me. And he said he was in some service one night. And he said he and his best buddy were sitting on the back row. And this great big old guy, great big old heavy guy got up and sang, love lifted me. And he said, my friend leaned over to me right in the middle of the song and said, not without help it didn't. <laughs> And maybe that's why some of you didn't get on your knees. You needed more help or something. I don't know. I'm in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Where the Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now, I've already been in this verse a couple of times. But you'll notice the word therefore. 
in this passage, which is the transition between chapters 1, 2, and 3, and chapters 4, 5, and 6. If you're familiar with Ephesians at all, you know that what Paul does is this. He begins by talking about doctrine. He does that for three chapters, and then he changes gears, and he talks about our behavior. If you were in a seminary class, they'd tell you, on the first three chapters, that's orthodoxy, and on the final three chapters, that's orthopraxy. It's just really fancy words that mean here's about what we believe and over here's about how we behave because of what we believe. Now here's what I love about Ephesians. The first thing he does is he lays out for us how to be saved. That's the point of the doctrine. Now, now y'all are a Bible-believing church, aren't you? And if you're a Bible-believing church, you know this verse, don't you? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. Now let's talk about that. Is going to church a good work? Well, sure it is. Will it get you to heaven? No, because it's not of works. Isn't it good to get baptized? Sure it is. But will it get you to heaven? Not at all. Shouldn't every man who's married be a good husband? Talk to me, shouldn't he? And if she's married, shouldn't she be a good wife? Y'all with me on that? And and yet none of that will get you to heaven because salvation is not of works. Do y'all follow that idea? And what the Bible says is, for by grace are you saved through faith. You know this, don't you? Grace is everything God does for us in order that we will get saved through Jesus Christ. Now, literally, it's unmerited favor. But the broader definition of grace is that God is working on us because He wants us to be reconciled to Him. He wants us to be redeemed through His blood. He wants us to be born again. Boys and girls, look at me tonight, all you boys and girls. You need to know about Jesus because he's the one that died for your sins and was buried and was raised from the dead. Moms and dads, teenagers, everybody in the room ought to know that. We don't go to heaven because we're good. We go to heaven by the grace of God. And it's based on the fact that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. How many of y'all believe that, do you? And the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. In other words, you don't save yourself, but if you'll come to Jesus, he'll save you. If you'll turn to Jesus, he'll save you. If you'll believe on Jesus, he'll save you. If you'll trust in Jesus Christ to be your God, your Savior, to take away your sins, to give you eternal life, that's exactly what Jesus Christ will do. The Bible calls it being saved. Y'all know that, don't you? And the Bible calls it being born again. So if I said to you tonight, and we wouldn't do this because we don't have time, first of all, but if I said to you tonight, why don't we stand one at a time and talk about the day we knew we were sinners without God? And let's tell the story about how we heard about Jesus who died and was buried and was raised again from the dead. Uh, Stand and tell me about the day you got saved. About the day you were born again. About the day you knew I can't save myself. The church can't save me. Baptism can't save me. Membership can't save me. Being a good dad and a good good wife or good husband. Nothing can save me but Jesus. Could you stand and tell about the day you got saved? That you were born again and is it a certainty in your heart. The most important thing in the world is to know you're going to heaven and to know it the Bible way. Y'all with me on that so far? So I don't know y'all tonight, but I sure hope all of you know you're saved. And if you don't, think about it. If you don't know, you need to consider Christ. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a wonderful Master. He's a wonderful God. But the Christian life begins with you getting saved. And, uh, and it's different for everybody as far as the time. But everybody who gets saved gets saved the same way. It's not a Baptist way and a Catholic way and a Lutheran way. No, there's only one way to heaven, and it's Jesus Christ who died for our sins and was buried and was raised from the dead. And you got to be born again. When I'm in Europe, 
in uh, the Russian Orthodox communities, uh, they, uh, they will use a lot of the same terminology. So my friends in the Russian Orthodoxy believe they're going to heaven because they pray to Mary and because they got baptized when they were babies and because they've been through catechism and were confirmed into the church. And so when I preach there, I use a, a, a stronger Bible word to help them to understand. And it's the word the churches use there, and it's a word we know. It's the word repentance. So when you're in, in the Russian Orthodox community and you're explaining the gospel, what you say is, have you repented? That's a word that means change your mind. Has there been a definite time in your life that you understood, my goodness, I can't save myself, and I need to be saved through Jesus, and the church can't save me, and this baptism can't? No, 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 none of that. Have you ever changed your mind about that and fully turned to Jesus Christ to be your God, your Savior, and you've trusted in Him, believed on Him, and been born again through Him? That's the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Y'all with me on that so far? And now we change gears. We're in chapter 4. And when you get to chapter 4, he says, now I'm going to talk to you about something different. I've been talking about being saved. Now I'm going to assume you're saved. And so Paul says, now let me talk to you about walking worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Can I use these verses tonight and preach a message that I'm going to entitle, What in the world? What in the world does a happy Christian family even look like? Is that a valid question? What does a happy Christian family even look like? you have any idea? Ephesians is going to tell us. So let's start here. We'll go fast tonight because I think I have about 10 points. Can you handle 10 points? So you've got to listen fast. Can you all listen fast? And uh, so here we go. Let's start in verse 2. Now, I, the, these I can touch on quickly because we've already been there. Look at verse 2 of chapter 4. Here's how you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, verse 2 says, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do you remember when I mentioned these the other night? Some of you were here, weren't you? Here, here's the first two points. Number one, what does a happy Christian family look like? Verse 2 says, it's a place of humility, gentleness, and patience. In fact, if I said to you tonight, what, 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 how do you know if you're a successful Christian? Well, verse 2 here is saying, are you, are you uh, humble? Are you gentle? Are you patient? That's Christianity. Y'all believe that? How I many y'all know that if you're grouchy and hard to get along with and sharp-tongued and short-tempered and uptight and easily bothered and on edge and always angry, how many of y'all know that's not Christianity? Are y'all with me on that? That's not Christianity. God called us to use humility, to live with humility. You know, humility is the opposite of pride, isn't it? You know, pride will do a lot of damage to a family, won't it? Listen, listen. I'm amazed at how many couples are coming to me for counseling, and there's all kinds of things wrong. He's, she's offended, he's offended, she's bothered, he's bothered. And I always ask this question, well, have you ever tried to make it right with each other? Have you ever said to her, sir, have you ever said, hey, uh, sweetheart, I need to tell you something, I was wrong. And I have no excuse. And I'm sorry for what I said or did or didn't say or didn't do. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You know, I'm amazed how many people never say stuff like that in a marriage. You know what that's indicative of? There's no humility. Because humility and pride are the opposite. If you have never ever said to your spouse, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? You, you, you might need revival. Because you're tough. One, one guy said to me after one of my services, he said, now hold on, Brother Young. He said, my wife and I have been married for 19 years and we've never had a crossword. And I stopped for a moment and I said to him, why aren't you two living together? 
I, I'm sorry. You t are you kidding me? You mean to tell me two sinners are married to each other and they've never had a crossword? Somebody's dead. Y'all with me on that? <laughs> Somebody in that relationship's not alive. Because you put two sinners together, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to have all kinds of problems, aren't you? But humility solves it. When you're willing to say, I'm wrong, will you forgive me? You know, sometimes we have to say that to our children. I, I, I don't know. I, my, I, my, I, God was working in my heart some years ago when my son was a teenager. And, and uh, I, I was just busy and life was busy and my schedule was full and I was always on the run. And, and I'd go home to Florida to our house and when I'd get home there was a ton to do and I only had like five days to do it. And I'd only be home like, you know, five days every five weeks or ten weeks or whatever. And, and life was just, and I, I'm a lister. Anybody here make lists? I, I, I write things down I've already done just so I can check it off. It just makes me happy. And I have my list and I'm checking, I'm busy. And my son Matthew, he's, he's a hyper, fun, enjoyable teenager. And he came into the garage. I don't even know what I was doing now. But he walked in the garage, and I'm just telling you, he bothered me because I asked him to help me do something, and being a teenager, he didn't get it. Y'all know what I mean by that? Like some of y'all, you know what, what, I don't know what it was now, but he's like, eh, you know, and, and, uh, and it bothered me. And I'm, I mean, I kind of unloaded on him. I was like, for crying out loud, son, you're 16 years old now, and your dad needs help. And, and, you know, I don't need to stop and have to explain every detail of everything I ask you to do. You're becoming a man. Figure it out for crying out loud. You know, i got to get back on the road and help people have godly families, okay? And, I mean, I just kind of unloaded on him. And I'll never forget what happened. My son Matthew, with complete respect, quietly left the garage. No back talk. He didn't lash out. He just quietly left. And this is what I also remember. He walked out, and the Spirit of God walked in. You know what I mean by that? Not literally. You know what I mean by that, don't you? And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God's like convicting me that, uh, you know what? That's no way to talk to anybody. Certainly not your own son. We have a weight room in our garage. You could probably tell that by looking at me. And, uh, <laughs> and obviously, I'm not home very often. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I remember kneeling in my garage at our weight bench and saying, God, I was wrong. And I remember making it right with, with, with God. That's no way to talk. To anybody, let alone your son. But one of the reasons my son and I are really close is because I called him back in the garage and apologized. It's humbling. This is God's plan for a happy, happy family. You've got to learn humility. How many of y'all know that life will teach you humility? Y'all know that? You ever been humbled by life? When I was in the third grade, I was Santa Claus in the Christmas program of our public school. I was about the size of that microphone right there. And this skinny little guy with a big head. And they gave me this Santa Claus outfit for the play. And I don't know, the gym was full, the bleachers on both sides. And there was, you know, people sitting on the, you know, on the, the, the basketball court. And we're on the stage. And we did our program. And I was Santa Claus. And I remember, I, just in the third grade, I remember jumping off the stage and crawling under a cardboard fireplace. And I had to work at remembering my lines, you know, ho, ho, ho. And... And I finally got those down real good, and I put some presents, and, and uh, then I, I crawled under the fireplace and jumped back onto the stage. I was in the third grade, and there's, I don't know, four, five, six hundred, seven hundred people in the, you know, the gymnasium. And I jumped on the stage, and unbeknownst to me, when I jumped onto the stage, the little plastic belt that went with my costume that was holding everything together, 
I caught it on the lip on the corner of the stage and I ripped it in half, but I didn't know that. And I was the grand finale of the Christmas program. <laughs> and it, this, is the la this is the closing moment. All I had to do was jump on the platform and my teacher said, do this with great enthusiasm. It's the final statement of the play. And I stood up in front of about five, I don't know, six, seven hundred people. And I put my hands in the air and I said, I was ready to say, Merry Christmas to all. I'm in a public school, all right? And I put my hands in the air to say that and I lost my pants. <laughs> right there on the platform in front of everybody. It was a humiliating moment. Y'all know what I mean? Life can humiliate you, but here's what God asks of me and you. You want to have a happy home? You got to learn humility. You got to learn to make things right when they're wrong. You got to learn to be gentle. You got to learn to be patient. Are you gentle by nature or are you harsh? Christianity is gentle. Are you patient with each other? Then the Bible says here, here's the second point. The first one is you, you got you to, a happy Christian home is a place of humility, gentleness, and patience. Can you all see that in verse 2 where I'm getting that from? And then here's Christianity. Live this in your home. It's a place of love and peace. That's the end of verse 2 and, and also verse 3. How many of y'all agree that Christian families ought to be places of love? Do y'all agree with that? We ought to say it. We ought to show it. We ought to demonstrate it. We ought to sustain it. Listen, my dear brother, if you're a child of God, learn to say I love you to your spouse and learn to say I love you to your children. And ladies, learn to say I love you to your spouse. In fact, you know what you do when you have an argument? When you're not saying eye to eye, you know what you do? You, sometimes you just need to stop and say, look, I don't know how to solve this right now, but I want you to know something. I love you, and nothing will ever stop me from loving you. Can we at least agree on that? Brother and I have done that more than once in our marriage. I mean, we just, we don't see eye to eye on something. And, and when it's all said, I don't even remember what it is. I just knew that she was wrong about something. And, uh, and, and, and I knew I was wrong about something, but we just couldn't figure it out. And sometimes we've stopped more than once in our marriage and just stopped and said, hold on a minute, let's talk. I don't know how to solve this. You've talked, I've talked, we've talked, and, and, and we still don't feel right about this. Can we agree? I love you. Do you love me? Yes, we do. Let's, uh, let's uh, um, um, you know, uh, kiss and make up here a little bit. Y'all follow me on this? Amen. It's just simple love. You tolerate one another in love. You endeavor to, uh, to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Don't ever lose your love and your peace in a Christian family. If the television damages the peace of your home, consider turning it off. It's not wrong to watch TV, but listen, don't let the news rob you of your peace. I read somewhere that the five leading causes of depression in the United States are probably CNN, FOX, ABC, CBS, and MSNBC. And, and they might not be far off. You know what I mean by that? But don't lose your peace. That's a, a Christian ought to have peace and love in their life, and a Christian, a Christian family should. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to park on it, because uh, I, I, just for sake of time, because there's a lot here. But if you were to keep reading here, what he does here is he begins talking about our relationship to the church. And, and you all agree with me on this, don't you? If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, the church is important. Do you all agree with that? Every Christian ought to be faithful to church. We ought to be faithful to church. We ought to be in church. And church is not just a place where you go to sit. Church is a place where you go to, to be increased in the faith and serve and use your spiritual gifts and provoke each other to love and good works and encourage and, 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 and be a part. It's where we worship. It's where we hear God's word. It's where we pool our resources for the kingdom of God's sake. This is church. It's important. And I will say to you tonight that a happy Christian home is a place where the church is emphasized. Make it a priority. Make church a priority. 
If you have to choose between a ball game and church, go ahead and choose church. Amen. Let the world know church is our priority. If you have to choose between, uh, you know, I don't know, a, 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 a hunting event or a golf game, uh, if you can't at all, choose church because church is the priority. And I'm not going to preach on that. You can read that. But I, I wanted to point that out. Make sure the church is a priority. Now, how many of you all know the importance of verses 17 through 24? Do you? Verses 17 through 24 of chapter 4 is basic Christianity and how we live it. He begins in verse 17 by saying, This I say therefore in testifying the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Do you agree with this? If you're going to have a Christian family in our culture, it has to be different than the families around us. How, how many of y'all agree with that? Our neighbors down the street, our neighbors down the street have been in my home, so I'm not being critical. They're my friends, and I love them. I prayed for their son this morning. He's on my daily prayer list. I love that family. They're my friends. But what a mess they've made of their family. Their, their one son is been in jail for stealing and he's out on parole and he broke parole and he's in hiding because if the police find him he's going back to jail. How many of y'all agree that's no way to live? Their daughter has six children by five different men. How many of y'all agree that's no way to live? Y'all follow what I'm saying here? So what the Bible's saying in verse 17 is we're not to walk the way the rest of the world walks in the vanity of their mind and he says in verse 18, their understanding is darkened. They are alienated from the life of God through ignorance. Uh, their heart is blind in verse 18. They give themselves over to lasciviousness in verse 19. To work all uncleanness with greediness. And look at verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And look at these important verses. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man he's corrupt according to the deceitful laws and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness this is what you call sanctification sanctification is when you say wait a minute the world is wrong that's not right that's not right that's no way to live People shouldn't live that way. Christians shouldn't live that way. That's not Christianity. I start by understanding that. And then I say, that's no way to live. I'm going to get that out of my life. I'm going to think differently than the world I live in. And I'm going to put on the new man and live Christianity. Did y'all see sanctification in the Bible? That's Christianity. That's how you live Christianity. You've got to always be on guard because the world is a master at always trying to get you to believe things that aren't true. Did you all know that? The world is a master at that. And, and the, that, that's always been the tactic of the enemy. What did he say to Eve in the garden? Now, did God really mean that? God's trying to do you wrong. You don't want, God didn't mean that. What's he doing? He's lying to Eve. And boy, did he cause a mess in that lie. And a lie always messes up a family, you know that? Sometimes I've been with guys in our counseling who'll say, well, I just want you to know I think we're better off divorced. What's he believing? A lie. Or he says, you know, I just don't love her anymore. I just don't love her. I don't love her anymore. He's believing a lie. Y'all you follow how easy it is to believe lies? It's, it's so easy. Our, our world is bombarded by lies. We're surrounded by them. And what we've got to do, according to the Bible here, is always have our spiritual antenna on alert. That's not right. That's not true. That's not correct. 
We can't live that way. And we've got to change our mind from the way the world thinks and live Christianity in our families. That's how you have a happy Christian home. So then he applies it. You ready for this? Look at verse 25. He's going to apply it. He says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. What does a happy Christian home look like? It's a place of humility, gentleness, and patience. A place of love and peace. It's a place that emphasizes the church. It's a place that determines to live differently than the world around us. It's a place of honesty. Put away lying. How many of y'all know that dishonesty is a major problem in a Christian home. Did you all know that? You ought to read the book of Genesis. It's 50 chapters. Read the book of Genesis and highlight every story in Genesis about dishonesty. It'll shock you. What happened in Genesis chapters 2, 3, and 4? Satan lied to Eve, Eve lied to God, and Adam lied to God. What happened to their children? Cain killed Abel and lied to God about it. Just shocking. You've read about Jacob, have you, in the Bible? Remember Jacob and Esau? Esau the hairy man and Jacob the smooth man. Y'all read that in your Bible? And apparently he was really hairy. You know how Jacob fooled his dad into thinking he was Esau? Killed a goat. Y'all know this story? Wrapped the goat skin around the back of his neck and over his arm. And his dad says two things that always make me almost laugh out loud. When he went in to see his dad, who is too blind to see whether it's Esau or Jacob, he said, now you sound like Jacob. And then he said two things. But you smell like Esau, and you feel like Esau. Now, that makes me laugh out loud every time I... Because what did he smell like? Dead goat. He said, you smell like Esau. He just had a goat skin, fresh goat skin wrapped around his arm and the back of his neck. How girls would like to be married to Esau? Smell like a dead goat. You, you look, I'm not making this up. That's how it is. And, and then his dad reached out and touched that goat skin, rubbed that goat hair, and said, you feel like Esau. Now, I don't know how else to say this. This is it. Apparently, Esau was one hairy dude. Are y'all with me on that? That's just a funny story, no matter how you slice it. But here's what happened. Remember Jacob said, Dad, I'm Esau. Lied to his dad. What did Jacob's sons do to him? Jacob's sons killed jo or, or sold Joseph into slavery and lied to dad about it. What did Potiphar's wife do to Joseph? She lied about this, uh, this bedroom scene where she tried to cause him to be immoral. She lied to him. You'll find all over the Bible that dishonesty is always a tragic problem in a Christian family. Listen, did you know that before a couple ever has adultery issues, do you know there's dishonesty involved first? A man will lie about where he's been. He'll lie about who he's writing. She'll lie about where she's been and who she's talking to and who she's been messaging on Facebook. We are always dishonest before we destroy our families. That's why he puts it first in the list. What's a Christian home even, what's a happy Christian home even look like? It's a place of honesty. Y'all see this? Or, or no, y'all with me on this? And you can go on forever, can't you? It's a place without anger. Verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Now somebody said, hold on a minute, Brother Young. It says there to be angry, so anger must be okay. Now listen. Let, let, let me back up and talk about that. The point of this passage is, here's the old man, get rid of him. Here's the new man, embrace him. So when he says here, in that context, be angry and don't sin, what he's talking about is your emotions. How many of y'all agree that we all have emotions, even if you're a German? Do y'all agree with that? Yes. We all do, don't we? 
and, and all of us are emotional. Now, ladies, is this true? Sometimes ladies are more emotional than their husbands. Is, that's not always true, but often it is, isn't it? My, my wife, I think, is more emotional than I am. She, she tends to cry more than I would. And sometimes about nothing. Uh, I remember we were first married. I came in one day to our apartment, and my wife was in tears. And I said to my sweetheart, I'm a newly married husband, and I said, honey, what's wrong? And what my wife said floored me. She said, nothing. And I said, well, why are you crying? And here's what she said. I just needed a good cry. I am 53 years old. I don't think I've ever just needed a good cry. But my wife needs those regularly. See, we're all emotional. I, I don't, I'm not emotional like my wife, but I'm still emotional. My wife will let it all out. She'll cry and, and, and sometimes just spill it all out. If I'm, I'm more emotional. I hold it all in. But it's emotional nonetheless. And here's what the Bible's talking about. Our emotions are often dangerous, aren't they? Amen. What happens when a man loses his temper? It's all kinds of trouble. Gets all kinds of trouble. He'll say things he shouldn't have said. Behave in ways he shouldn't have behaved. You, you don't remember that, don't you? I preached on anger one Sunday morning at a church, I think in Illinois or somewhere. And, uh, and when I got done preaching, this guy walked up to me. I preached a whole sermon on the problem of anger. And, and it was a family conference. And uh, when I got done preaching, he came up and his hand was bandaged. And, and he holds his hand up like this. It's got this huge white bandage around it. And I could see the tips of his fingers and they were black and blue. Just bruised terribly. And he goes like this. He walks up to me and he goes, well, holds his head up. He said, well, I guess I needed that sermon. I said, uh, oh, what happened? And he said, well, I was at work Friday and I lost my temper and I punched a concrete wall. <laughs> How many of y'all agree that's a dumb thing to do? Y'all with me on that? Now, what happened there? His emotions got the better of him and resulted in something. Can I say this word gently? Because there's kids in here. His emotions got the better of him and he did something stupid. Is that right? How often do anger, does anger damage our families? Can I say this gently, church family? If at your home there's anger issues, then you don't have a happy Christian home. What the Bible says here is that anger leads to sin. Do you see that? That's why he says, be ye angry and sin not. Notice that it lingers longer than it should. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Phyllis Dillard. Y'all know that word, name, you older folks? Phyllis Dillard said one time in one of her comedy routines, y'all remember her saying this? She said, why, why go to bed angry when you can stay up and fight? Did you ever hear that line? Well, that's good comedy, but that's horrible Christianity. Y'all with me on that? What the Bible says here is don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, don't let anger compound in your life. You know what happens in a lot of homes? We get our feelings hurt. We get upset about something. We get bothered about something, and we don't take care of it. And it compounds. And what we do is we ignore it, and eventually we feel okay about it, so we move on. And then we get all upset again about something else. And now, because we didn't deal with the anger already, now it's compounded. It's times two. And then the next time, it's two times two. And then later, it's four times two. And then eight times two. And eventually, you can have a major mess because of anger. Can I just say it gently? You can't have a happy Christian home if it's a place of anger. If you're always yelling and raising your voice and upset. Uh, let's see here. Let's forsake a time. L look at verse 20. Let's skip to verse 29 just for sake of time. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the ears. What in the world does a happy Christian home even look like? Well, it's a place of edification. 
We're to build each other. How many of y'all know there's power in the tongue? Y'all know that? Y'all know there's power in the tongue? Have you read this verse in the Bible? The power of life and death is in the tongue. I told you about Granny Young, didn't I? My Granny Young. Did I tell you about Granny Young? And carry, she, the one that carried the pistol. We all here for that? And uh, when, when my, my Granny Young lost her temper at her daughter-in-law and pulled out a pistol and shot at her three times, it changed our family. The police were called. She had to go to jail. It was embarrassing. I was in a public school. We lived in a small town. I mean, your, your town where I grew up, compared to where I grew up, your town is like, you know, New York City. Because our town was just this little blimp on the map. And when you grow up in a town like I grew up in, you know everybody and you know everything on everybody. And what you don't know, you just make up. Yeah. I lived in a poke and plum town. Y'all know that terminology? That's where you poke your head around the corner and you're a plum out of town. So that's where I grew up. And everybody knew about it. It was embarrassing. It was just terribly embarrassing. But see, the problem with the thing was, is that my granny had a temper. Boy, it, it caused damage. My dad got that temper. Saw so my dad one day, bought a mule. I don't know why he bought a mule. We didn't need a mule. Don't know what we're going to do with a mule. But my daddy likes mules. And he bought this mule. And he went to his field and lassoed it. And brought it over. And, and we we're just going to take it home in the back of our pickup truck. Had rails on the back of the pickup truck. And he lowered the tailgate and opened the gate on the back of the rails and put a ramp up there. And he got that mule on that ramp. He got it up the ramp. It, it went up the ramp. But it stopped on the ramp. And it wouldn't go in the back of the truck. And my dad got in front of that mule and tried to pull it on. And I was impressed. That mule buckled down there on that ramp. And I'm telling you, would not go in the back of that truck. My dad got a brilliant idea. I'll never forget this. He decided to get behind that mule and push it on. <laughs> Anybody here see a problem with this story? My dad got behind that mule. And I'll, I'll, I was just a boy starting here watching it happen. My dad got behind that mule and grabbed it on the hindquarters and started pushing it up that ramp. And apparently that mule didn't like being touched there. And that mule kicked the fire out of my dad, rolled him out in the gravel. I mean, just boom, and roll that little, you know, dad out there. And, and uh, my dad lost his temper. We didn't really lose it. It, it was right there. We could see it. And, uh, but, uh, you know, how, what I mean by that, my dad lost his temper, jumped up, and uh, he went over, and he went up on the tire and up over the rail and got in the back of the truck in front of that mule. And he, I'll never forget this. He said, I've had it with you. My dad took his fist. I've had it with you, he said. And he pulled that fist back and right between the eyes, let that old mule have it. I mean, like, boom! And I thought he was going to knock the mule off the ramp. I mean, he punched that thing right between the eyes and the little, you know, mule kind of stumbled around there a moment and then went in the back of the truck with him. <laughs> and then my dad turned around to me and said, now get in the truck. Let me just tell you, I was in. Buckled and everything, even before seatbelts were a law. Now, see, here's the deal. You know, we can laugh about that tonight, can't we? But nobody's laughing if you have an anger issue. I, I can laugh about it. I remember the night my daddy came home from church, and this is not typical of my father. Dad came home from church one night and sat us all down and said, Hey, I need to talk to y'all. And we were all thinking, what do we do? You know, somebody's in trouble. And my dad said to my mom and to us kids, he said, I'm sorry for my temper. And I've been really convicted about it. And he said, by God's grace and God's help, I've asked the Spirit of God to help me to overcome it. Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters? God answered Dad's prayer. Turned him into a brand new man. Gentle, loving, patient, no anger. Y'all see this? And, and 
And, and here's, here's, here's where we bring it down here. You and I can turn our anger into negativity. We can be so harsh, so mean. It's so easy to tear down. Sometimes you've been married for a few years, you can get so negative with each other. Don't allow it to happen. The Bible says a happy Christian home is a place of edification. It's where we build each other. It's where we encourage each other with our words. It's where we strengthen each other. Are, are, are you all living that way? That's a happy Christian home. Anybody can be negative. Anybody can complain and gripe and tear down and be sarcastic and belittle. Anybody can do that. But a genuine Christian builds, encourages, strengthens. You do know this, don't you, church? This is an aside. Can I just stop and say, did you know, you know what's, what he's really talking about here? Ultimately, there's three things in mind. There's our relationships in the church. There's our personal relationship to God. And he's talking about our relationships in the family. There's, there's three ways you can apply these verses. It is in the church, it is in your own life, and it is in your family. We're talking about the family tonight, but don't overlook your, your own life. If, you're by, if you are by nature negative, if you are by nature harsh and belittling and always tearing down, then I say it gently, but it's true. You're not the Christian you ought to be. And if in the church we're always negative, can I, can I just, can I park on that? Because a lot of you folks are older and you have a younger pastor, right? And, and you know what I often can, can observe sometimes? As we get older, we have stronger opinions about this is how it ought to be done. Are y'all with me on that or not? It's how we've always done it. This is how we've always done it. This is how it always ought to be done. And if you don't this way, it just means you're not right with God and I'm out of here. Now be careful about that. Because when we become in the church always tearing down, I don't like it, I don't like it, I don't like it. I don't agree with that, I don't agree with that, I don't agree with that. You know what happens? It's very easy to let corrupt communication proceed out of our mouths. And I say this as gently as I know how. We are not right with God. Is, does that make sense? This is Paul's writing to us. It is amazing how powerful these verses are when you apply them to your church, to your life, and to your family. No corrupt communication. Instead, we edify. Listen, you say, well, you know, that could have been a better sermon. Well, duh. I have never heard a sermon that was perfect. Y'all with me on that? Amen. But we ought to edify, shouldn't we? We ought to say things like, you know, Pastor, you don't wear boots, but I still like you. That was a good sermon. <laughs> See, we ought to build. We ought to encourage. Strengthen each other with your words. Have you ever read this verse? There's a verse in the Bible that says, uh, as, uh, let me see if I can get this right. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is hell. Y'all ever read that verse? Our tongues can be like a sword. M M Michael, do you have a knife on you tonight? You're not carrying a knife. Are you serious? Who's carrying a knife tonight? Somebody carrying a knife? Anybody got a knife on you? Can I borrow your knife? Is it a good knife? Somebody borrow your knife. If you can get a hold of it. I need to borrow your knife, so find it in there. Dave, will you help me in illustration? Come on down here, buddy. All right. Is this a pretty good knife? It's a little tiny thing, but maybe it'll work for us. This is no sword, but it'll work. All right. Now, y'all see this knife right here? Now, David, how strong are you? How tough are you? I, depends if you're going to stab me with a knife or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're tough, it shouldn't matter either way, should it? Now, now, think about this. What I want you to do is just a little experiment. Why don't you put your hand up like this, all right? So, here's what the Bible says. There is, let me see that. It's, it's not super sharp, so we're going to be fine, all right? It's, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it, it's not too bad. All right. Okay, now, now watch this. What the Bible says is there's, there is that speaks like the piercings of a sword. But... The tongue of the wise is hell. 
Now tell me how much you can take. All we want to know is how much you can take, all right? So let's just see how tough he is. So I'm going to take this knife. I'm just going to start in the center of your palm, and you just tell me how much you can take, all right? Just how, how much you think you can take. Think you can take more? Really? You're not helping my illustration. <laughs> there is that speaks. Can you feel that? Yeah. Can you feel that? How, how far do you think I could go with that before you'd withdraw? You really don't know, do you? I don't know. Yeah. Does it hurt? Yeah. yeah. It does a little bit. You can feel it? Yeah. All right, now, there's no blood there, so we're good. Now, <laughs> now, now, watch how silly this illustration is. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I didn't really mean it. Well, I just had a bad day. But the Bible says our tongue should heal and not cut. Amen. Examine your spirituality tonight. Just one chapter. And I didn't even finish it all. Because he goes on to say things like this. In the chapter, he says, uh, be ye kind one to another. You know about kindness, don't you? Yeah, we all know about kindness. Are you all kind to your spouse? Are you kind to your children? Are you kind to your parents? You give that back to him when you have a seat. Does this make sense? This is about a happy Christian home. What does it look like? Well, look at, look at all of these. I, I, uh, I, I need to close and we'll do a couple question answers and be done tonight. But, but just, just look at these for a few moments. A few, few more here. We, we find the, the, the kindness. I skip verse 31. Uh, look at verse 31. I call verse 31 issues. Uh, a happy Christian home is a place without issues. Because the Bible says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You know what that's talking about? All the issues of your life have to be dealt with so you can have a Christian home. How many of y'all know that a lot of us have issues? Y'all know that? Did y'all know that or not? Just smile at the person beside you, would you? Smile at them. Go ahead, smile at them. And say to, tell the person beside you, say to the other, you got issues. Tell them. Because it's the truth, isn't it? But here's what the Bible says. You don't want the issues of your life to hurt your family or hurt your marriage. So, so handle them biblically. There's a right way to handle bitterness. There's a right way to handle our tongue and a right way to handle our emotions. Don't let bitterness and anger and wrath hurt your family. You've got to live Christianity. You all know this, don't you? Anybody can live Christianity at church. Have you ever noticed that? Amen. You really can. Anybody can. I mean, we, we fake it at church, don't we? You ever been on your way to church and had an argument with your spouse? And you get to church and you're a little bent out of sorts, but nobody knows it because you walk in and fake it, don't you? Hello, brother. We talk so spiritually. Hello, sister. God bless you. And love lifted me. And we just jump right in, don't we? But you know what? You know what? I could fool you. I, I could fool you. You could look at me and think, well, he must be a great husband. But y'all know this, don't you? There's one person in my life for sure that I can't fool. That's, that's God. We all know that. But it's my wife, too. I could fool you, but see, I can't fool her. There's five other people in my life that, that I can't fool either. You know who they are, don't you? My five kids. Do you see why this matters, church family? We've been talking all week about this Christian home thing, and we're out of time. And, and, and we ought to look over our lives and say, God, how am I doing at home? My sweet, loving, gentle, kind, my, my emotions under control? Do I edify and build and encourage and strengthen everybody in my church, in my home? I, I, I'd advise you to read through the rest of the chapter 5. 
Because you'd find there that a happy Christian home is a place where there's purity. We have to be clean at home. You'll find it's a place where there's uh, gratitude. We're thankful. In chapter 5, you'd find it's a place where there's great music. I don't know. Don't shoot me on this, but I'm going to say something. I don't know that it would always be wrong to listen to, say, a country song or a folk song. Not all of our music has to be, you know, a hymn. You know that, don't you? Like I'm a Tennessee volunteer fan, and I like that song, Rocky Top. Y'all won't judge me on that, will you? I, I feel like it's spiritual somehow. Uh, I'm, I'm being silly here. So not all of our music has to be a hymn. But you know, our homes, we ought to be careful about the music because the Bible says we're to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. I tell my kids, there's a variety of Christian music out there. But one of the things we learn in Ephesians 5 is that our Christian music should emphasize a melody. And a melody is what we can take with us in our heart. You know, if, if a hymn doesn't have a good melody that I can't take it with my heart, I don't prefer to sing it. I, I, I just noticed, oh, Caleb here next, he's been sitting with me some on the front row and singing with me. And Caleb likes the songs that have good melody to them because he kind of gets the idea, a little, bit of a, you know, a little bit of a melody there in his heart. And he jumps in occasionally. He jumped in there tonight on Power in the Blood. He likes the fact that there was a lot of repetition in that song. <laughs> he at least knew one word, power. He got that word in there. And see, we want our kids to know. We want, don't, don't, don't let, you know, it's not, it's not always wrong necessarily to listen to music that might be not, not a hymn or whatever. But don't let your music in your home damage your Christianity. Amen. Be wise. And I could preach all night because Ephesians 5 is loaded, but I'm out of time. That's what a happy Christian home looks like, and God wants you to have one. That's what a happy Christian looks like, and God wants you to be one. That's what a happy Christian church looks like, and God wants us to be one. We ought to be growing in the Lord and pursuing Christianity. Have I made sense tonight or not? So I, I, uh, I was thinking about questions. We need to do a little question and answers tonight before we have a little break and a little snack here together tonight. But I want you to think for a moment about question and answers you have. Because someone asked me a question. I thought I'd answer it. Someone said, uh, how do you balance family with work and family and church and all our responsibilities? And, and I would answer that for you because we need to hear that, parents. How do you balance family? There's a couple of ways. First of all, first of all, is that you realize life is seasonal. Sometimes you just can't. Like, you know this young couple right here, don't y'all? They have a newborn baby. How many y'all know that's a season of life? And how many y'all thank God it is? Just a season. Because it is. It's a season. So there's a sense in which you go through different seasons in life where things are a little bit out of balance. And that's not wrong. That's life. But the goal is to keep it balanced. So realize if it's a season and, and yet work on things and do right even in a season. But also simplify. Recognize the season and then simplify. Moms and dads, slow down. Simplify. Your kids don't have to play every instrument and play every sport. and You don't have to watch every show. Simplify. Slow down. Simplify. Slow down. Simplify your life. Keep things simple. Don't, don't let your home fall apart. Uh, keep things simple. When the, when the dinner's done, clean, clean up the kitchen together. Do it together as a family. And that way you're, you're doing things together. That's the other piece of advice. Do it together. Dishes got to be done eventually. Might as well do it as a family right away. House got to be clean, so clean it together. And, and mow the yard together. And go to church together. And serve. keep things in balance by, by, 
by recognizing seasons when things are, you know, you guys have been through harvest. And a lot of y'all been through harvest here recently. So farming, that's a season where things get a little out of balance, but it has to be done. That's season. But even in the season, we still try to do what's right, don't we? And we slow down and simplify, and we serve God together. That's how you keep things in balance.